welcome, and God's people said, hallelujah, we're here, face to face, in flesh and blood, people at home, we love the camera, we love you at home, everyone who's watching the streaming or maybe the taping later, but oh, it's good to be back together again. We ask you to have patience with us. If it seems at times that we might be a little bit more rigid in the past, we just want to stay open. And so we do ask that masks be worn at all times. Um, School-age kids, adults, that's a a no-go zone for us right now. Have to have that. So please, please be patient with us. Um, Our numbers we have to watch. uh, So be patient with us there, especially when it comes to Good Friday and Easter. We're going to maybe roll out a counting system or a sign-up system we haven't decided yet, so watch for that for Good Friday and Easter. But until then, it is good to be in the house of the Lord together. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you for my brothers and sisters that are here present today, and I pray for my brothers and sisters who are watching online, who are unable to be here. Lord, I ask you to meet with them in a very profound and meaningful way. As we journey together uh, to the cross, as we come up to this Easter season, as we, we, we prime the pump to get ready for, uh, as we celebrate really what the crux of our belief, what, our, our, what, all, what Christianity is all about, we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. And so, Father, help us to, to do that today and next week and and day by day as we walk together. Oh Lord, I would ask you to, um, to be merciful with me, your servant, today. And thank you for what we just were able to hear together for the worship team, for the word that Elijah brought, and for the exciting news that Abigail, of all the ministries that are being just, just ready to be launched again. And so we're thankful to you, God. And um, help us to be patient, not only with one another, but with, with you. We don't want to run too far ahead of you, God. You have a plan, and your plan is always perfect. We don't, we don't get it, Lord. We confess. We don't always understand your plan, but it is good. So thank you, Jesus. In your name I do pray. Amen. In Luke chapter 7, we read about two people who encountered Jesus on very different paths as they journey to the cross. Luke 7.36 says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now the occasion is, is Jesus being invited to eat at Simon the Pharisee's house. Now it's important, I think, for us to notice how Simon the Pharisee greets Jesus. He doesn't give Jesus the the kiss on the cheek when he walks in, though that was the custom of the day. Jesus' feet went unwashed, even though the custom would have dictated that someone, whether Simon or one of his servants, would have washed the feet of Jesus. And oftentimes when you had a distinguished guest, such as Jesus, you would have given them some inexpensive olive oil, perhaps, to anoint their head. That was the custom. That was the custom of the day. And none of this 
happened for Jesus. Then we read in verses 37 and 38 of that same text, when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So, So here we have Jesus... He's eating at the house of this Pharisee, and in the midst of their meal, there is an uninvited guest. We are told that she's a known sinner, a woman, if you will, of ill repute. And she walks into this house where she does not belong, and she's weeping. She's crying, and she has a jar of perfume with her. Perhaps it was was meant to be a gift. And she falls at the feet of Jesus. And the tears are now dripping off her cheeks and onto the dirty, muddy feet of Jesus. Feet that should have been washed by Simon. She sees that his feet are not washed. She sees how her tears are making the dirt run off his feet. And so she undoes her her hair. I don't think she planned this. Maybe she did. The text doesn't tell us. She would have assumed that Jesus' feet would have been washed, um, but they were dirty. And so with her tears, she washes the feet of Jesus. And with her long hair, now undone, she, she dries his feet. And then she begins to kiss them, crying, broken. She pulls out a jar of very expensive perfume. And then she pours it on his feet. That's two people. Two encounters with Jesus. While he's on the way to the cross. Both responding differently to the master. When our oldest daughter, uh, Stephanie, I think she's 27 right now. When she was an infant, um, I was a, a, a first-time pastor, and my wife was a shift worker at the hospital. And with no family near us, we were on our own to look after our precious child. And for the most part, I took care of, uh, of her. She's a baby during the day, and my wife covered the, the evening shifts so I could get work done. Uh, once in a while, though, my, my wife got called in to work midnights. If you're in the healthcare profession... Working midnights, ka-ching, because you get double overtime. If it's a holiday, you get, it's, it pads your bank account when you desperately need it. So it was good. So when, when that happened, I was on night supervision, all by myself, with a brand new baby. But she put Steffi to bed. She's, Steffi's sleeping. I'm getting ready. I'm doing some work at the computer or watching TV or whatever I was doing. It was midnight shift, so I was probably in bed. I don't know. And then I could just hear the faint cry. Oh, oh she's awake. Okay, so I go and I pick up Stephanie and I, oh, goo goo gag. Oh, I love you too, Stephanie. You're so cute. And she's crying and the cries are getting a little louder. So I do what, we, you know, fathers do. You, you walk with the child around the house. You, 
You, you bounce her. 30 minutes in, she's still crying. You get to soothe her. You go, oh, maybe she's hungry. Go get the bottle. Get the bottle. No, doesn't want to take the bottle. I love you. You're so cute. Hour in, she's still crying. Oh, the diaper. Maybe it's the diaper. Put her down. Diaper seems to be dry. Okay. Two hours in, this little cute baby is starting to look like a demon. And I'm like, why can't you be quiet? Hour, two and a half, three hours in, my hair, it, I had hair back then, standing up on end. And I would, my, I'm just, I didn't know what to do. I had to get on the phone. I had to call my wife. I can't make her shut up. She had to come home on her break. And she came in the house. And I thought to myself, how could such a small thing make so much noise? So she came home on her break. Um, now, you've heard of the horse whisperer. You've probably heard of the dog whisperer. My wife, she was known as the baby whisperer in our house. Because I tell you, I said to her, what's wrong with Stephanie? I think I broke her. She's just overtired, my wife said, from crying too much. But, but she cried before, and now she's still... So my wife just grabbed her, and she bundled Stephanie in her arms in a nice, warm blanket, sat in a rocking chair, quietly whispered a lullaby to her. And within moments, Stephanie fell fast asleep. I have never hated my wife more <laughs> than... No, I'm kidding. I didn't hate her. I mean, I was amazed, astounded. What had, she, what had she done differently that I hadn't done? Nothing. But she had something I didn't. She had an intimate, intuitive connection with Stephanie. She carried this bundle of joy for nine months almost nine and a half months, to be honest with you. She went through a painful delivery, and she was the first person that our daughter got to see. The first person our daughter got to feel. The first person our daughter smelled and heard. And heard that heartbeat of my wife's. You see, a mother, a mother is able to know and understand her child's wants and needs in a way that no one else can, especially us Neanderthal fathers. You see, when a baby hears its mother's voice or feels her touch, that baby is somehow calmed. Now that's an, an intimate relationship. It's, it's all about knowing and being known completely. And unless you've witnessed or, or been in that kind of relationship, you won't know what intimacy is. You can't define intimacy. The, the dictionary definition of intimacy, just it just falls way short. No one can explain what intimacy really is. You just know when you have it. Simon the Pharisee didn't have intimacy with Jesus. But yet the sinful woman did. Intimacy, I will contend, is a hallmark of a follower of Jesus. Intimacy between you and God must exist to be a follower of Jesus. You cannot be a true follower of Christ without there, there existing some level of intimacy between the two of you. But you know, intimacy doesn't start with us. It starts with God. You see, God knows you. 
This is exciting. This is a hallelujah moment. God knows you. The best biblical word for intimacy is the word know. It's first used in context of relationships in Genesis 4 verse 1. The King James has it as, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. And that word knew, or to know, is the Hebrew word yada. Not yoda, okay, but yada. <laughs> yada. And the full definition of this Hebrew word yada is to be known and to be known completely. In Genesis 4.1, Adam knew Eve completely. Your version probably says that Adam lay with Eve. But, but you get the picture, right, guys, girls? You know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more, say no more. You know? The second half of that verse continues with, and she conceived and bore Cain. That's the truest and fullest meaning for that Hebrew word yada. Okay, now if there's any kids present or, or teenagers, this is where you put your, your muffled ears on, okay? Um, men, if you're feeling romantic tonight, can I suggest you simply go home, wink at your wife, and say in the most romantic voice you can muster, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> okay, you can take your earmuffs off now, kids. Yeah. You see, what Adam and Eve... What they experienced, it was a yada moment between a husband and a wife to know and to be known completely. It's a beautiful picture. There's something to be said here. The first time that we read in scripture about sex, it's not just about physical pleasure. Instead, it's about intimacy. Now, there are other Hebrew words that could have been used here to refer to the physical act and refer to procreation. But the word that God chose to use through his writers was the word yada. It, it's a mingling of the souls, if you will. Now, we're friends with a wonderful, mature couple, Sherry and I. It's a couple that models a strong, faith-centered marriage. They're an example to us. It's who we Follow. It's our pattern for marriage and how we ought to relate to one another. Um, when they're together, they often will sit in silence with one another, barely saying a few words to each other. You know, at first this kind of unnerved us seeing, seeing this. But then I realized that one of their strengths of their marriage was that they were so intimate. They were so yada that they just communicated in silence. They're connecting in silence. For them, just being together was, was ample space for connection. They were able to communicate without saying anything because they shared an intimate bond. If you trace the usage of yada through the Old Testament, you'll find it over and over again that this is the same word that God uses to describe his relationship with us. Over and over, yada is the word that is used to describe how God knows you and how he wants to be known by you. The same word, the same connection, 
used to describe a man and a wife is used to describe how God wants to know you. God wants me to connect with him in the same way I connect with my wife. My relationship to Jesus cannot be a weekend fling. It's not a casual encounter that sometimes happens. It ought to be yada, a deep knowing of him, an intimate knowing of him, because that's how God knows us. It's how he knows you. David repeatedly, the psalmist David, King David, repeatedly used the word yada to describe how God knows us in Psalm 139. He says, oh Lord, you have examined my heart and yada, everything about me. You yada when I sit down and stand up. You yada my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know, you yada everything I do. You know, you yada what I'm going to say even before I say it, oh Lord. You know, you know, you know. David is describing how intimate God is with us. And while God knows us deeply and intimately, he invites us to know him in the same way. And as we journey to the cross together, we have to understand that God wants you to know him. God wants his soul to mingle with your soul. For some reason, the creator of heaven and earth has offered an invitation to you and I. He opened his heart and he said, I want to know you more closely than you know anyone else. I want you to know my heart. I want you to connect with me on a level that can only be reached through the most valuable intimacy, the most vulnerable intimacy. I want our souls to come together for both of us to know the other deeply and wholly. How does that make you feel? Well, I'll be honest, it scares me a little bit. Because that's an awesome thought. Intimacy can be a pretty scary thing. Because it involves allowing ourselves to be vulnerable. We fear intimacy with others and with God because we know that vulnerability and pain go hand in hand. And I got to think that each one of us here has experienced some sort of betrayal or a crushing blow from someone close to you. You, you, you maybe open up to someone. You, you made yourself vulnerable by trying to be intimate. And then someone let you down. But that's the cost of intimacy. Pain is the cost of intimacy. When we allow ourselves to be vulnerable with God, we know he's going to find things that we're not proud of. Think about the woman in our scripture. She, she's a woman of ill repute. She knew she had sin in her life that made her unworthy to touch the Messiah, yet she took a risk. She became vulnerable. A high price to pay for sure for her to enjoy intimacy with Jesus. Because she could have been stoned. She, she could have been sentenced to death. 
but she took the risk because intimacy is worth it. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. When we become intimate with God, he is going to look into our lives and he's going to find things that he doesn't like. Well, at least in my life he does. Things he doesn't condone. And that scares me a little bit. I've got to be honest. But just for a moment. Because then, because I know that to be a follower of Jesus, I need to take the risk of opening up myself completely to God. I know there's so much more to be gained from intimacy with God that the risk is worth it. Isaiah 43, 1-3. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, he who formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. Isn't that worth the risk? A little bit of pain to enjoy that level of intimacy with God? Followers ought to think so. True followers of Jesus. That type of comfort, that level of comfort, only comes through true intimacy with God. He's talking about yada, that mingling of your soul with God's. Intimacy is scary, but it's so worth it. Sadly, though, in the church, we've often failed to embrace that kind of intimacy with Jesus and with one another. Instead, we've created a, a system focused around learning, not, not unlike Saul and the other Pharisees or Simon in our story. Our default setting is knowledge, not intimacy. Which brings us to our third point today. True followers will always embrace intimacy. Uh, think about it. We have, we have Bible studies. Women meet here on Wednesdays. We have Sunday school classes. Kids are meeting downstairs. We have study groups this week, starting up after Easter. Uh, we have sermons like this. And often at any of these outings, you, you, you receive handouts to, to follow along or to, to fill the blanks in. Or you've given, you're given homework to do in preparation for the next time you meet. You memorize the book of the Bible, you have the names of the 12 disciples, and scores and scores of Bible verses. There are even schools of higher learning we can send our kids to, or we can attend online ourselves, to help study God, to help study theology, exegesis, and Greek, and Hebrew, etc., etc. Now, don't get me wrong, studying and learning about God's word is invaluable. Scripture expects us to study the word of God with great care and with great diligence. But we can't expect knowledge to replace intimacy, even though we often try. 
We try to substitute knowledge for intimacy. Because knowledge is so much easier. It's so much safer. I mean, I believe you know about Jesus. But do you know Jesus? Do you really know Jesus? The way that he knows you? Do you yada Jesus? He, he wants to know us, and he wants you to know him. Luke 7, verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, what the woman had just done, he said to himself, the Pharisee, Simon, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. That's, that's Simon the Pharisee talking. And the Pharisee was a teacher of the law. He, he knew a lot about God. He had a lot of knowledge about the teachings from Scripture. He knew what was right. He knew what was wrong. And he was eager to learn more, which is perhaps one reason why he had Jesus come over for a meal. He even calls Jesus teacher, perhaps a not-so-subtle hint that he was more interested in learning from Jesus and not about opening up to Jesus. So Simon sees all what the sinful woman does for Jesus. Her embarrassing actions, her, her waste of good perfume, and Simon calls her out for what she is, a sinner. And in the process, takes, he takes a swipe at Jesus and, and his claim to be a prophet. Simon is becoming less and less interested in learning from Jesus now. But note something. Simon says all of that to himself in his head. Not out loud. Jesus who knew Simon, Jesus who yadad Simon, answered him in Luke 44 to 46. Do you see this woman? I come into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. And as Jesus is speaking, the people who are there can see the brokenness of this woman. And so Jesus turns to this lady and he says to her, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Simon brought Jesus to the meal, but all he wanted was knowledge. He wanted to keep things shallow, and he defined his relationship by not washing the feet of Jesus, by not caring to kiss him, by not being willing to anoint his head with oil. This woman, this, this sinful woman, was willing to open up to Jesus. She made herself vulnerable, being totally willing to open up and let Jesus know her. And her intimacy with Jesus actually led to her forgiveness. You know, there's nothing wrong with head knowledge. I, I got a lot of head knowledge. I got stuff in this head that I wish I'd forget. But it can't end there. Head knowledge without heart, without intimacy. That's what a pretender like Simon longs for. But a follower 
Followers should want the head knowledge, yes. But the, the followers should also desire the intimacy. They understand that they need both. They want to know more about Jesus, and they want to know Jesus. For when they do, forgiveness is always given. So God knows you intimately. God wants you to know him intimately. And a follower chooses intimacy. A follower searches and longs for yada. A pretender ends up being a, a bit of a Pharisee, a learner and keeper of the law, all head with little heart. So I'm going to ask you a question as I, as I ask the worship team to come up uh, to prepare for the closing song. I'm going to ask you a question. As we journey together with Jesus to the cross, are you willing to let Jesus know you? Will you embrace the close and intimate relationship he wants to have with you? Yes, it's a risk. There's sure to be some pain along the way, but we need to be willing to be vulnerable. But can you start doing that today? Will you start doing that today? Be honest with him about what's going on in your head, what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your life. He already knows, but he wants you to open up to him. And you can even do it now, quietly in your seats, as the worship team plays this last song. So I, I encourage you to connect with God in the silence of your heart and just enjoy that mingling of the souls. Let us together experience a yada moment with God.